The content of this recording is copyrighted by Sandler Systems, LLC. All rights reserved. This is the Building Blocks of Success with Glenn Matson. Now I want to spend a little bit of time on attitude. And we're going to take a real deep dive in this as time goes on. But attitude is that top part of the triangle. Now remember the success triangle, again, is three things. It's about congruency. It's about successes in the middle. And that's whatever you determine success to be. And of course, we have attitude in the top of that triangle. You have behavior on the bottom left. And then you have technique on the bottom right. Right. So when we look at this, those three areas, it's really about the why, the what, and the how. So right now we're talking about the why. And the why is the attitude. Now, attitude really breaks down in my eyes into two categories. One is called the crucial elements of success. And the second is what we call the barrier of success. Now, the crucial elements of success is to me four areas that we have to look at. The first is desire, the second is commitment, the third is outlook, and the fourth is successful mindset or ownership. Now, the bravery side are all the things that are barriers of success. These are all the things that will hold us back from being successful. Things we're going to talk about there are need for approval, controlling your emotions, and some other belief systems that we have. So when I look at the elements of success, that's desire. Let's start there. Desire is that that burning passion you have inside your heart to get the objectives that you want to get. It's all about motivation. So desire is about what really compels you to take action. And I have found that there's about six different motivational factors that really drive people to do the things that they're supposed to do, even if they don't want to do it. Now, it does not mean that one of these six is the only one that maybe you have or someone else has. That's not true. I have found these six to be, and you may not have all of these, maybe you have a few of these, but in the 30 years I've been doing this, I've found that these six interchange and interwine inside of people's noggins to help them really do the things they're supposed to do when they don't want to do them. Now, those six are things like, in no specific order, right? One is about reward and incentive. Reward incentive is, I want to get blank, so I'm going to do Y, right? I want to get. So reward and incentive is, is, you know, for a lot of us is, you know, we want to have a new car, we want to get X, we want to go Y. Reward and incentive. I want to get X, so I'm going to do Y. The second one is social factors. Social factors are you want to put yourself or compare yourself against other individuals. I want to be doing better than her. I would like to be doing better than them. I like to be in that trip. I want to go to that forum. I want to go to that national recognition trip. So social factors is because I want a sense of belonging. I want a sense of being part of that group. So I'm going to do X. Reward and incentive, social factors. Third one, achievement. Achievement is I want to achieve X. So therefore, I'm going to do Y. Achievement, right? So those are things that may be in your head, things that you want to achieve. Maybe it's dollar amount, size of your business, et cetera. And those are indicators of your success. The next is fear of consequences. Fear of consequences is that I don't want to embarrass myself or I cannot make sure that I'm going to have poverty. So I play lacrosse, you know, one of my uh, motivators to get into shape, which I hate doing, and it's very painful, is I never want to be out in the field and embarrass myself. 
So fear of consequences is huge and also so social factors. The other one that we have, reward, incentives, social factors, achievement, fear of consequences. And we also have the next one, which is power. Now, power is not common, but it's a very, very, very strong motivating factor. And power is about, in your mind is, I want to feel strong. I want to feel influential. I want to feel in control. I want to feel like I have power. I want to feel like I'm better than others. So therefore, I'm going to do X, power. The last one is growth. Now, all of these are very effective, but the growth motivational factors is it really comes down to a very simple one-liner. Good can I really be? What's my best version of myself? So a growth person is an individual. If we look at just, for instance, financials as a form of success, a person that's making $80,000 a year, their growth would say, hey, that's great, but how do I make 150? Then they start to make 150 and they say to themselves, that's fantastic. How do I get to 300? Then to 500, then to 800, then to 2 million and so on. And these individuals, some of you may say, well, aren't they ever going to be happy? Well, their happiness is when they find out what their best version of themselves is. So if they say to themselves, if I could have done X and Y, why can't I do X plus in the same amount of time? They're always looking to how to improve. So the word for growth mindset, growth motivation, is continuous improvement, always moving forward. So when you look at your motivational factors, which one are you? And which ones feel like it's you? Is it reward and incentive, growth, social, or is it a combination? So you got to understand what your desires are. And that's the important piece about goal setting is that the goal setting is supposed to get you to have that first level of crucial almost success desire to really make you crazy inside. Like almost you have like you have too much, in, you know, too much adrenaline going inside you. you. You can't sleep at night. Now, right below desire is commitment. Now, commitment is about a simple one-liner. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to achieve your goals? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to achieve your goals? Now, let's be real, real true on this for a second here. When I say, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Of course, I mean legally, morally, and ethically. But I think everyone understands when I say, are you willing to do whatever it takes? There is no what ifs or only ifs. Commitment is either you're in or you're out. In 30 years of doing this, I have found that one of the biggest roadblocks that I have found in individuals and within companies is they have what's called limited commitment. Limited commitment is they say out all the right things, but they don't do the right stuff. So limited commitment is I will bust my katukish only to this point. Then after that, nah. So part of the issue with limited commitment is, is that you have wavering motivation. You have wavering pipelines. You have things that you say that you want to do, but you're not doing what you're supposed to do to achieve it. And many people want to talk about it, have a victim mindset because of that. So commitment's all about, are you in or are you out? And you can't be in kind of. You can't say, well, I'll give it a shot and see what happens. No. Are you in the game or are you out of the game? Do you want to watch the game from the sideline or do you want to play it on the field? Because if you're in it, then play the damn game. But you can't be on the field and watch the game. It doesn't work that way.
So when you have your desire and you, you put down your plan, you got to ask yourself in the creation of your plan, which is, am I willing to do what this says? Am I willing to do what this says? Right? We talked about in the last podcast on the behavioral triangle, when you get down, that plan is done, and you look at your daily actions, you have to ask yourself, man, am I going to do this every single day? And if you say things like, I think so, no, not a chance in hell that's going to work. I'll try. Are you out of your mind? So are you committed to this or not? Are you going to do it or not? And by the way, every time that you have a challenge to your commitment, and you make the right choice, it builds your commitment even higher. So commitment is critical when it comes to the success of your attitude. Because without commitment, you look for excuses. Without commitment, you accept excuses, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I hate that. Third item is your outlook. Let me tell you what I mean by outlook. Outlook is you, your self-esteem, the marketplace then which you're in, in the firm or the company in which you work for or with. One of those three things can together creates outlook. So let's take a look at one of those compartments of the outlook, which is you, right? Your self-esteem. Your beliefs about you, your beliefs about sales, your beliefs about what you can do or can't do in sales, your belief about a lot of stuff will dictate 99% of every decision that you do or not do. Every decision. So we have to ask ourselves, what are the beliefs that we have in our head about us? What are our beliefs around failure? What are our beliefs around risk-taking? What are our beliefs around money? What are our beliefs around confrontation? What are our beliefs around, honestly, sales and the perception of being a salesperson? So outlook right now is your self-esteem. Your self-esteem drives everything inside of your body, everything. Your self-esteem dictates more than anything else the level of success that you're going to be at. Let me tell you that again. Your self-esteem will dictate the level of success that you're going to be at more than anything else. You can technically be amazing, but not have the right mindset. What about someone who has technical skills? Like I remember, you know, I used to do a lot of coaching for lacrosse too. And you have kids that are, have natural abilities. They're so good, but they have no commitment. They're so good skill-wise, but they don't practice. So our self-esteem dictates everything. Here's a couple of rules to think about. One, you earn exactly what you think you're worth. Let me tell that to you again in case you want to write it down. A lot of people look at me in the last 30 years when I've been telling them that, training lots and lots of people, tens of thousands of people that we've trained easily on a yearly basis. When I turn around and say to them, you earn exactly what you think they're worth, they all stare at me and say, hmm. Then as they start to think about it and I start to talk, they all go back and say, damn, he's right. If you think you're worth $80,000, you will bust your katukish until you get on a run rate to make $80,000. Sad thing is, if you think you're worth $80,000 and you go hit a great quarter or a great sale, what happens to your behavior? What happens to your, your discipline to follow your plans? If you out-earn what you think you're worth, you will adjust your behavior. And unfortunately, when I say adjust your behavior, you do less. You've out-earned what you thought you're worth. So therefore, you can slow down. You did a month or two months worth of production in one month. Therefore, I have 30 days that I can coast. That's your self-image. That's your self-image saying, dude, you out-earn what you thought you're worth. Slow down. 
the kids do the same thing. Your kid thinks he's a B student and he got an A in a test. Trust me, he or she is thinking to themselves, well, I don't have to study that hard on the next test because I got some wiggle room. That's because they believe they're a B student. Second rule I want you to think about when it comes to your attitude. In addition to you earn what you think you're worth, second thing is you call on organizations. When you are talking to people inside of organizations, you will call as high in an organization as your self-esteem will let you. Are you going to call the mailroom or are you going to call the CEO? Who are you talking to within the hierarchy? You know that has more to do with your self-esteem than your skill. So our belief system dictates a ton what we're worth, who we can call on. Hell, even your average case size. This is one that I do with a lot of people very early on in our relationships. Look at your average case. Look at what your average ticket is. Whatever your sale is, what's your average? Okay, there may be some variations to this, but let's make an easy uh, an example. If you take an average sale, that has a representation of your self-esteem. You will look for what you're looking for until you find it, and then you're going to stop looking. If you're the kind of individual that a $300,000 sale is an average sale for you, and you're having a conversation, and on the gamut or on the docket is a $350,000 sale, you're not going to be continuously looking for more opportunities. We do it subconsciously. Now, if you're sitting in front of someone and they have a $15,000 opportunity and your average size is 30, you're going to be keeping looking and looking and looking until you get to where you want to be subconsciously. See, we're all born winners inside of our head. We're all born psychologically at 10. It's the crap that happens from the time that we're born to the time that we go to the tomb, right? The womb to the tomb. That time period, opinion leaders have told us that we're less than a 10. You realize that we grow up in a society that we are judged. We are judged based on the results that we get in our roles. So if you're a good student and you have good grades, we will tell our kids, hey, we love you because you're smart in math. But what your son or daughter says is mom and dad love me because I'm smart in math. So we get an awful lot of attention and accolades and you know, thumbs up based on the role success that we have, not the self-esteem success that we had. That's why when we do well, we feel great. And we don't do well, we feel like an idiot. When we don't know the answer, when we're called on, even when we were younger, we felt foolish. When we're sitting in front of a prospect and they ask us a question, which we'll deal more with later, we have that same feeling. So when we are born, we are all psychologically born perfect. It's the crap that happens later that screws us up. So for most people, psychologically, they fall into three categories. What we call is a non-winner, which are people psychologically are okay being not okay. Then we have, unfortunately, the majority of the population or what we call at leasters at Sandler. And at leaster is someone who can be better, but will justify why they're not or why they don't have to. Those are individuals, hence at leaster. Hey, you know, I could be making more money, but at least I'm making this. I, you know, I could be talking to more people, but at least I have a full pipeline of middle-level individual prospects. So an at leaster understands they can be better, but they defend where they are. And then you have the psychological winners. And these are the individuals that if it's either you or you know someone like that, they understand failure is part of success. They understand that setbacks are natural. They embrace change. They live in the world of why not me? And they just think differently by choice. So if you're a winner or an at leaster or a non-winner, you realize that psychologically, you will perform, important for your notes, you will perform 
one step above or one step below where you see yourself psychologically. So if you see yourself as a six psychologically, in your roles, you'll perform between a seven and a five. And if you perform as a nine, i.e. outperform what you think you're worth, you will actually slow down your behavior. That's called a comfort zone. You ever watch sports when teams start really beating somebody else up? They start to slow down. How many of you, when you start to really make it in sales and start to kill it, you start to slow down? It's a comfort zone. So our attitude is really important as we start to go through and understand your outlook. The other area I want to talk about is successful mindset. And successful mindset is really important inside of our brain. What I mean by this is, is a successful mindset individual. When we take risks or we have to have an activity that we have to do, there's only two outcomes. What we are hoping for and a lesson. A lesson occurs when we don't achieve the objective that we want. Many people will look at that as failure. I'm going to talk a lot about that later, but failure, we've been trained, is a bad word. Failure, we've all been ingrained as a kid, means you're a loser. Failure is negative. I'm going to turn around and tell you, you better giddy up and figure out quickly, and I'll show you some techniques on how to do that. Failure is awesome. Failure is the fastest way to figure out how to be successful. You have to learn how to fail. It's the number two rule of Sandler is you must learn how to fail to learn how to win. Failure gives you lessons. You learn very little by succeeding. You learn a lot by failure. So why are we afraid of failure? Failure gives us the best lessons on what not to do next time, what to do better next time, what to do more of next time. So when we take a look at this third element, right? excuse me, fourth element of success, desire, commitment, outlook, and now this is successful mindset, Successful mindset is when you don't achieve what you were hoping for, what happens? When you hit failure, when you have an outcome that's different than what you're hoping for, maybe you were having an appointment and that person didn't show up. Maybe you thought you're going to have a closing meeting and they decided to change what the outcome was going to be. Maybe you tried to ask a tough question. It didn't go the way you were hoping. I don't care what happened. You tried something, you took a risk and the outcome wasn't what you're hoping for. This is vitally important for success. This is called responsibility. Responsibility means, which is called, in our mind, it's called the successful mindset. Successful mindset has three areas, responsibility, ownership, and accountability. I can't tell you how many companies and individuals say, Glenn, I need help with accountability or the culture of the office, a lot of excuse-making happening. And it drives me batshit crazy because I don't get it. You have goals and what you want. You put a plan together to get there. Why the heck would you make excuses on what happens when you get off course? Successful mindset is about, again, responsibility, ownership, and accountability. When you look at an episode, the successful mindset's responsibility is before the act. It's the mindset that says that you have a personal commitment to the results, a personal commitment to the results. That is responsibility. That's before things happen. Now, if something goes sideways in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of a deal, that's ownership. Ownership is the ability to take action or take the risks in order to ensure the achievement of your results. That's ownership. You don't blame somebody else. You don't pass it off to somebody else. Damn, man, you're the one that created the outcome. You're the one that created the environment. Fix it. Third area of successful mindset is accountability. Accountability is after it happened. So look at, look at it as a timeline. Before something starts, that's responsibility. If something's going wacko in the middle of it, that's ownership. The after the fact, when you're looking over your shoulder, behind you is accountability. Accountability is the personal willingness, right? To after the fact, to answer 
for the outcomes that were produced, to answer for the outcomes that were produced, good, bad, or indifferent. So we call this, which we'll get into much greater detail later, is called living the lifeline. You have a plan. You have to realize this, and this is a great rule to remember, right? And, and, and let me give it to you. It's why every sales problem happens for one of two reasons. And by the way, you can take the word sales out and put in every management problem happens for one of two reasons. Every prospecting problem happens for one of two reasons. Every growth problem happens for one of two reasons. But right now, we're going to use the word sales. All sales problems occur for one of two reasons. Number one, you did or you said something that you were not supposed to. Either you did or you said something you were not supposed to. Number two, you didn't do or you didn't say something you were supposed to. You better write that stuff down and have it all over your office. You said or did something that you were not supposed to or you didn't do or didn't say something you were supposed to. That's why it happens. That means almost every concern or issue or roadblock or uh, thing that's happening occurred and started with you, which means that we have to take responsibilities. We have to take responsibility for what we did or didn't do or what we said or didn't say. Responsibility is very important because people who don't have responsibility, darn, they dodge blame, they make excuses, they take shortcuts, they view failure as, as someone else's concern or, or they hide from it. They look to others to help them out of their problems. They look to others to blame for the reasons that they're having right now. How many of you or your people are blaming the economy? How many of you are blaming recessions? How many of you are blaming the leads that you have? How many blaming other stuff? Well, you know, come on. Now, a well-developed person is someone that will own it. Something doesn't go right. They say, look, I, I, I apparently didn't say that's something I was supposed to, or I didn't plant my feet over here, or they said this, and I knew it, and I wimped out, and I accepted it. That's someone who's well-developed. They do not make excuses if they fall short. The other thing that a well-developed person has is the willingness to admit mistakes. They raise their hand and say, I messed up. Everyone messes up. God, only the losers or the people who don't want to grow or don't want to make excuses. 99.9% of all excuses come from individuals who have failure that don't want to figure out how to get better at it. Don't sugarcoat this. This is easy. The other thing that comes up with successful mindset that, 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 that I deal with, that I want you to take a look at is the blame game. Right now, I don't have a lot of time to go into this right now. We'll talk more about it later. But I got to tell you, man, you got to write down in your notes stop playing the victim. Stop playing the victim. Playing the victim is a mindset that you have that denies responsibility. It denies responsibility. It's never your fault, it's always someone else's fault. That's a victim mindset. You have a persecutor, you have a victim, and you have a rescue. Victims are never going to be successful at the level they have to. So if you stop making excuses, this is what will happen. When you stop making them, the second phase is you're going to stop accepting them. When you stop accepting them, then you're going to get to the next level. So when we take a look at this, you've got to have the ability to stop making them. And then once you stop making them, you're going to start to hear how many people are making excuses. See, part of the issue is if you're an excuse maker, you don't hear other people make excuses. But when you stop making excuses, oh my God, it's like a truck backing up. All you hear is how many people make excuses. It'll blow you away in how many people make excuses. Or worse yet is how many people don't make commitments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see what I can do on that. I'll try. 
God damn, man, are you going to do it or not? So step up, lean into it. And if it doesn't work out, own it, be done with it. So those are the crucial elements of success when it comes to the attitudinal piece. In the next session, we're going to talk about what are the bravery issues or the roadblocks that hold us back from driving and getting to where we need to be when it comes to success. This is the Building Blocks of Success with Glenn Matson. 